Welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Larson. This week, we're taking you to an exciting new place in downtown Grinnell, Iowa, in our interview with Angela Harrington. Angela is the owner of Hotel Grinnell and has led the charge in converting this former school building into an incredible contemporary boutique hotel. And we found out she just happens to have a lot of experience in small town economic development. She is a wealth of knowledge and I would encourage you to grab a pen and paper and get ready to take some serious notes because this interview is packed full of valuable information that I believe can help any small business as they're getting started. So here we go with Angela Harrington. Well, today we are with Angela Harrington in Grinnell, Iowa at the pretty newly opened Hotel Grinnell. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you share with people about this whole project. I am so amazed by it. I love the creativity behind it. This is such a cool place and it's such a just out of the box, great concept that I think people are going to love. So thank you. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about you and your story and kind of what led you here. Well, I would tell you that I'm uh, likely to be labeled as a serial entrepreneur, but my early days were spent very much as an intrapreneur. Um, I would have a project with a company that, you know, an idea that they had that they would give me the headline and then I'd have to figure out how to build an offshoot of their business, that kind of thing. So I spent my 20s as an entrepreneur. And then in my 30s, I decided that I needed to um, be an entrepreneur and I owned a summer camp for nine years. And then I lost my mind and went into the restaurant business. (laughs) And I spent a number of years in the restaurant business until the great crash of 08. My son at the time was little, and I decided I got to take a break from Mr. Toad's wild ride of entrepreneurship and have a normal job. And I I really, um, over the years as an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur, I was very involved in the community, whatever community I happened to be in at the time. And I decided I needed to, I really loved my volunteer work. And so I thought that I um, might reinvent myself as an, a community development type of person. So it just was, I was doing a consulting project as a volunteer for a chamber of commerce. And through that project, I noticed that there was a, a chamber job open in Grinnell and in small places the community development and um, chamber job and also convention and visitors bureau is all one thing. And I decided, you know what, I'd like to do that. So they hired me, thankfully, to do that. And I did that for 10 years. But the, the, the story of this hotel starts the day I walked in that door of the chamber. So realizing I had 10 years under my belt as an entrepreneur with some really great mentors and 10 years on my own as an entrepreneur in three businesses. I had a consulting business. I owned several restaurants and the summer camp. So I had that experience behind me. And so my first marching orders from the board that I now worked for as the president of the chamber and the CVB was that we really need an event center. There's nowhere to have a wedding in the small town. People want to come back to their hometown, get married, that kind of thing. There's really nowhere to have that. We have a fantastic college, but 
they're in the business of a college and they they have limited availability both for weddings and you know different kind of conferences and so forth so that is when it started so i i started researching okay what in the world does it take to do an event center in a small town because lots of times what happens is people get all kinds of enthusiasm for a project like that, but if you can't figure out how to make it self-sustaining in a small town, its life is going to be very short-lived, okay? Because there's just not enough resources to go around right. to fundraise and fundraise. When we have our own, you know, issues of there are pretty pressing needs in some cases with, you know, poverty and, you know, things that are more pressing than we need an event center to have a wedding. So it really needed to be self-sustaining um, so that it wasn't a burden on the community and have the opposite effect that it would be an economic driver. So I quickly figured out from research that I did that uh, uh, an event center has to have a hotel. Um, not necessarily the other way around. Hotels don't need event centers, but event centers really need hotels. So that kind of started that thinking. I really am passionate about historic preservation, smart historic preservation, especially when it comes to being an impetus for private investment. Because, you know, there's not enough holes in the earth to put all of the old buildings in, right? There's just so not true. enough holes. Yeah. And in a small place, it's one of our only natural resources. We don't have a critical mass of population that naturally drives really big things happening, okay? We don't have all that money swirling around in the local economy that somebody's going to say, oh my gosh, I can't wait to start my business. You know, so that that's really a, an issue we need to pay attention to. So... We don't have that population base um, and a lot of money to attract investment. In, in our case in Grinnell, we have a really solid industry base. We have a world-famous college, but we don't have natural resources that are going to naturally drive visitors. You know, we don't have the mountains or an ocean, that kind of yep. thing, right? But guess what our natural resource is? Shitty old buildings. <laughs> we have lots and lots and lots of them. Because over the years, the ebb and flow of the economy, since about the 50s, you know, has really kind of left out the small places. Because what's happening is, is that you need more and more to make things go. And when you have a pretty finite population, pretty finite economy, some of those, those old buildings were left behind. And also, you know, globalization and um, the Walmart phenomenon, all of those things. And then, you know, now the Amazon thing. So it left a lot of the brick and mortars behind. Yes. So because Iowa has such a great match in historic preservation. Not all states match the federal historic preservation um, tax credit programs. Oh, interesting. So in Iowa, that's why you're really seeing some great things happen, and you have for about 10 years, uh, even longer than that. But it, it, in my brain, it's like the, the last 10 years has been pretty fantastic with the main street things that have happened. Yeah. So... Those old buildings are tremendous reasons for investment because you can't possibly address opportunity cost without 
some kind of incentive or special way to spur that investment, okay? Because opportunity cost. I could spend $7 million in Des Moines and have that risk not be as big right. as if I do it in a small town, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to have those kinds of things that mitigate a bit of that risk. So I'll tell you, this hotel would have never happened as many, many things in small places without the historic tax credit program of the state of Iowa and also of the National Park Service. So it'd be very difficult to do a ground up hotel because if you don't have some of that mitigation, granted, it's more expensive to renovate um, a historic building because you're trying to preserve, which costs right. money. Yeah. But at the same time, you couldn't do a, a $7 million investment without that piece because the opportunity cost is too great. I'm losing out on an opportunity with that set pile of money in a bigger place and it's too risky. So you're mitigating risk and addressing opportunity cost with incentives that again, tie into our natural resource of shitty old buildings. So I'm uh, figuring out that in order to do the board, you know, follow through with their kind of community development, their first task is I walk in the door, we need an event center. So figured out it needed to be a hotel. And then this building luckily is in the center of downtown. Which just to interject, the downtown is incredible. Yeah. Great old historic buildings. It's yes. Yeah. One thing I'll tell you that we have a great city manager um, that's progressive and forward thinking. And also a guy by the name of Bill Menner ran a it wasn't called Main Street program, but he it was called Renaissance, which you would love because it's like revival. And he really got people talking about the need to do second story housing in small places and in Grinnell specifically. Okay. And Grinnell took that and ran with it. He he was he's a resident, he's a longtime Grinnellian. But that's a lot to do with downtown because they figured out, oh, there are these programs to help me put second story housing in all these old buildings. And that's what makes those buildings then pencil out because you've got the residential piece upstairs and the retail piece downstairs by themselves can't make that building go but second story housing and that's what you need to make main street businesses go is sure. people close by living not far away but upstairs and that's why I really when I learned more and more about hotels now I would tell you that I put myself through college working lots and lots of jobs and probably the main one was working at the front desk at the Holiday Inn in downtown Denver but I digress <laughs> so you know the holy grail for small towns is really 18 hour vitality because that's what millennials and Gen X they want 18 hour vitality. They want things going on, the stuff to do, fun, you know, kind of things. The vibe has to be buzzing because they're used to buzz. And if you can't find that buzz, it's going to be harder and harder to get young people to call this home. And there's three ways that money comes into a town, right? So you've got the residents and you've got the um, workers and you've got visitors. Okay, so residents need that 18-hour vitality to find this compelling. 
And if we don't really address 18-hour vitality, we cannot possibly be competitive with places like Chicago, Denver, Des Moines. But a few things we have going for us, if towns really pay attention to density and filling in those you know, places to live very close to downtown, we might not have a big sprawling vitality, but we can sure pack it all in to a really small place if you watch your density. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So it became very clear to me that I can't think of another business that creates 18-hour vitality like a hotel because all of a sudden you're getting a whole new group of people in the visitor pieces. I told you there's three pieces. The hard part of you know, towns is getting that third piece, that visitor piece. So yes. how do you do that? You got to bring them right to you and get them right downtown because that adds to the resident and all of a sudden then everybody feels like we have it going on instead of feeling like you roll up the streets at five o'clock and, you know, why would I want to live there? Yeah. So that I really became passionate about that very, very early about the hotel as a catalyst for 18-hour vitality. So that really kept, kept me in it because this was not easy. The whole process, like I said, you know, 10 years ago is when the concept first entered my brain that I must figure out how to do an event center and thereby a hotel. Because Grinnell, in prior years, really got the residence piece. It really watched its density. You know, you had one guy, you know, really preaching about the, the second-story housing and then the other really watching the density and ma making sure to control that. Um, so that really got the workforce kind of, it got that residential piece packing as much vitality as it could into the downtown. Um, and you've got to work on your core. We've already seen what suburban sprawl has done to downtowns. And now everybody's moving to back downtown. It's so true. Because we figured out that we need that density and the vitality. And that comes in wherever the city's heart beats. That's what has to be developed first. Not the rings. And then we're going to get no. you got to develop that core. So... The great things that are going on in Des Moines, even, um, you know, you see that. But if you're not really working on that core, um, and it's, a, you know, this is a, a really walkable city. It's a bikeable city. Um, it's one of the things I hear from our guests is that I did not have to move the car. That's so great. Like, right? We went to breakfast. We went to dinner. I visited my kid in school, or I went, you know, I'm, I'm doing a staycation. I went golfing. I never moved the car. So it's really a cool thing. But the hotel, there's that three-legged stool of getting visitors, workers, and, and, uh, and residents all kind of swirl around together in the downtown. Um, what, but the um, bigger businesses that needed big space all are located on the interstate or far from downtown so the economic impact of that workforce is not as contributing as if they were really close by but that's common so you have to get that other piece to really pop which is that visitor piece and that's why I became quite determined that one way or another we were going to open a hotel but I I wanted uh, the hotel to, you know, people need variety, right? And I knew that, 
you know, we have already 300 guest rooms in Grinnell. And they're all at the interstate, except for a few B&Bs close to downtown. But I knew that we needed to occupy a different space because half of all the consumers in the world are wanting um, an upscale or luxury, and we're missing out on, on that piece. And see, I was kind of uh, dangerous in a way because I was you know, running the Convention and Visitors Bureau, and I would like host cocktail parties, you know, or things yeah. for different people. And like parents at the college, I would say, oh, yeah, where are you staying at the Marriott in Des Moines? Like, oh, my God, oh. what a lost opportunity. Let's figure out, uh, you know. So it just added fuel to the fire because, um, and there's a local company in town that I said, you know, have you always used all these hotel rooms in Grinnell, Iowa? You know, it's a local company. And they said, no, because we these are people that are our customers, and it is very important that we have a certain level of service. And so we have typically housed them in Des Moines and then brought them in. So I was like, oh, and think of all that revenue that the town missed out on. Absolutely. And it's not that we don't, we absolutely need every single one of those hotels at the interstate because that occupies those different choices too. But it's about variety. I had a snarky person, I get that from time to time. <laughs> I had a snarky person say on social media, what do we need a no hotel for? We already have five at the interstate. And typically, I say nothing, right? I say nothing. It'll just yep. get people started. I just uh -huh. don't have time for it, right? <laughs> but I replied back, that's like saying that because we have a McDonald's, we're good to go. We don't need any more restaurants. We have a McDonald's. No, you need variety. That's the part of the piece, other than vitality and movement and vibe, you need variety, to attract workforce and visitors and residents. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing that allows for, when you have greater population in bigger towns, that allows for greater variety. So if you only have one choice at a restaurant in town, and then you have 100 choices in a big town, that variety is really a competitive disadvantage of a small town. Sure. But variety is hard to do because yeah. a lot of variety takes a lot of more money churning in the economy. I mean, we can't, we're not going to be able to have a hundred restaurants in Grinnell, but so you got to be really strategic when you're in community development in a small town or as a business owner, really figuring out what variety can you add that you don't need lots and lots and lots of more people to make happen. Sure. So just that is uh that's great background just to know kind of what went into all of this. Yeah. So it became apparent that two things. So when we identified the building, um, and luckily a friend of mine says, nothing ever good happens in community development unless you control the real estate. Luckily, this real estate was controlled by the city, and the city wants 18-hour vitality and cool things to happen too, yeah. right? So luckily... Um, they owned the building. So the first thing was trying to figure out how do you make this work financially? That was the journey, mm -hmm. right? Um, so the historic tax credit piece was the first one. 
so this building that we're sitting in was so much of the fabric was taken out in the 80s. We'll have to go back and... Yeah, tell us about the history of it. So the building was built in 1921 as the city's junior high school. And then 40 years later in the 70s, it is my belief that three things were happening at the time that made him give up. First of all, we did not have the technology and the know-how and the resources or the drive or the understanding of historic preservation in the 70s. Okay, we, There just wasn't. If a building was going to fall down, it was going to fall down. This building was rock solid, great bones, built in 1921, whereas the high school that was first was built in 1900, and just in that 20 years, they figured out a lot about foundations and that sort of thing. So this building stood the test of time, whereas the beautiful high school that was built in 1900, not. Wow. So fast forward to the 70s. There's an energy crisis going on. The ADA rules are starting to gain momentum. And asbestos is also thought, hmm, is something going on there? So those things were happening, and that's my opinion, but all over the country in the 70s, lots of buildings that were in 1900, you know, buildings have a life. Yeah. And if you're not going to really reinvest, they have a life. Mm -hmm. So we had that, the huge industrial boom, right? All across the country, 1900, we're building stuff everywhere, you know, the, the revolution, right? Yeah. So... That a lot of things were built at that time. And then by the 70s, they're wearing out. And so in this case, the um, building was worn out, and those three things were happening. So as is common, the school gifted it to the city, which is a gift that kept on giving. <laughs> because it's really hard to figure out what to do with the big beast. It's yeah. 65,000 square feet. Wow. I mean, in the smaller downtown buildings, you know, it's more, oh, yeah, we're going to put residential upstairs, great loft apartments upstairs, and then retail or office in the downstairs. It's right? manageable. Yeah. It's manageable. But 65,000 square feet, holy moly. So they said, well we'll turn it into a community center. So I would tell you if you added up all, all the hours of the day, they put some offices in here and there were some city offices, but all told with all the 65,000 square feet and all the days of the year, it's probably about 80% unoccupied or let's just say, you know, quiet and not well, you, it was very underutilized. That's the best way to put it. So they had it for 40 years, and a great blessing is, is that the city owned it, and so they kept the bones. Okay, but good, the, yeah. The, you know, they kept the bones intact. They didn't let things fall apart. You know, when it needed a new roof, it didn't wait for 10 years to get a new roof. It got a new roof. Yeah. So that was great. But aesthetically, um, they were a disaster um, because they did things like, and, and it was coming all over, not they right. personally, yeah. but, mm -hmm. but all over the place. They dropped the ceilings to, you know, from the glorious 12-foot, <laughs> 15-foot ceilings down to 8 or 9 feet, added that horrible acoustic tile, yes. and um, boarded up a bunch of windows. And it was just, uh, it was just ugly. Yes. <laughs> Along with, it was 70s ugly. So, um, 
So after we identified the building, tried to put the all the pieces left together. So we had the, it looked like we were gonna be able to use historic tax credits. It looked like there were two other programs that would, again, mitigate that risk to be uh, manageable and to allow for a luxury hotel and two big public spaces in a ballroom and an auditorium to somehow be managed in a town of 10,000. Daunting on the risk scale, okay? Yeah. So it looked like financially we were going to be able to pencil it out, but there were two things that happened. I um, looked for an operator. I had a lot of contacts by then in hospitality as far as operators. We needed an operator and we needed a private investor. So I looked for years and years to find the private investment piece. I looked locally, and again, the opportunity cost and the risk of doing it in a small town. You don't see luxury hotels in small towns for a reason, because you just can't make it pencil out, and the opportunity cost is calling their money elsewhere. (laughs) So then I uh, reached out to a guy that was a pretty famous guy in the hotel world. He was a Grinnell alum. He went to college here, and he was a trustee. So I reached out to him and I said, I really, I really need some help. I, I'm, I can't find the investment piece. I can't find an operator. And so I uh, flew to Denver. Um, he's like, well, I'd like to hear what you have to say. Come on. Because I told him, it, and he was in Colorado. And I said, oh, I'm from Colorado. I'm actually coming home uh, in a couple of weeks. He said, well, come a day early. I'll clear my schedule. This is a guy wow. who owns Magnolia Hotels which has hotels all over in big cities. They're 300 rooms. You know, this is a, you know, one of the great independent Their hotels are beautiful. Hotel stories in the country. So I spent the day and then, you know, and I said, I I just think it's got to be. I mean, um, at that point, it almost felt like, I don't know, it small deserves variety, vitality, and people making those things happen too. Yeah. Right? So, and so many of the incentives, so many of the programs and all are all geared to big places. It's true. You know, yeah. and small gets nothing. Or the rule, <laughs> they can apply, but oh, the rules are such that, you know, yeah. so that it can't happen. So anyway, the capital sack was to get, was kind of there, looked like it was going to happen. And, uh, then the last pieces were, who are we going to get to operate it? Who's going to be the private investment piece? And because of my background, um, my investor, uh, the man from the college said, okay, kid, you run it, and I'll put my money in. Let's, let's give it a shot. So cool. So we were off and running. So then uh, the capital stack at this point, which is, you know, all of the – monies that you're going to need to make it go. I mean, private investment piece, no one's writing a cash check for all the money, you know? Yeah. So it was so complex at that point that I, it was way over my head. I didn't have the chops to figure it out. <laughs> so I um, reached out to a guy by the name of Jake Christensen, who um, owns Christensen Development, and he was really integral in the redevelopment of the East Village. Oh, yeah. And I said... I've got this project, and now I think it's going to work, but it's got such a complex financial puzzle that I don't even know how to make the performance look right, you know, to... So he 
I don't know, took pity on me or decided, <laughs> okay, I'll help you out. But he jumped in and took it, took it across the finish line for the, uh -huh. the money piece because it wouldn't have happened otherwise. One of the important takeaways, just because you're in a small place doesn't mean there aren't people in the world that have, you know, vast experience that won't help you. Um, so now I had a famous hotel, you know, owner at my side, and I had a famous realtor, I mean, in Iowa, I consider him the best of the best. Yeah. I had him on the other side, and with that two experiences, and my, you know, I'm really am more of a marketing and a PR person and operations. So I was operations and marketing, and one was finance, and one was, in, you know, an industry um, genius. So. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So... I thanks, love it. Thank, thanks to all of those people along the way that helped. So we uh, we were just under construction 10 months and then opened uh, last September. So the majority of your work was casting vision and getting like all of those main things in place. Yeah. Putting the puzzle. I mean, it's a big puzzle. So putting all the pieces together um, that that generally make a business go, you know, in any yep. smart business plan. But at the same time, this was really challenging because you didn't have the natural economic factors that you could easily attract investment, the bank loan. I mean, the, you know, those were serious obstacles. Wow. So, but um, where um, there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, I'm glad you had the long-term vision to see it through. Thank you. Aren't you loving our interview with Angela? There was so much good content that instead of cutting out some of the interview to keep it under an hour, we decided to keep the content and split it up into two weeks. So we'll be back here next week as Angela continues to share her story about Hotel Grinnell. In the meantime, you can check out our blog at ruralrevival.co for more information and also head to hotelgrinnell.com. Have a great day, everybody, and we'll be back here with you next week. 